that if you leave us a review and five stars on iTunes, we will read it out loud on the pod. They make us so happy. We get so excited to do this. And um, Julia, would you like to read it for everybody? I would. Um, This review comes from Harley Page and five stars. It says favorite podcast. And she says, Christian and Julia have created a fun, insightful and charming podcast that I always look forward to listening to. I started listening in the middle of season one as a sophomore in high school and still love the podcast as it comes to a close during my senior year. If you listen to any podcast, listen to this one. Thank you for all the hard work and dedication you both put into the podcast. Heart. Oh, she thinks we do hard work. <laughs> that is very sweet. That is, no, that is incredibly sweet. And it, 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 we are so appreciated, so appreciative of you guys and like any, you know, recognition that you want to offer us for doing this. It's, it's honestly a labor of love. And I'm so sorry that you Harley <laughs> had to go through high school in a pandemic. Um, we hope that we were at least a good part of it. Um, I hope that mixed in with all of the horrific advice we've dispensed on this podcast, there's been some positive pieces of advice as well. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> Maybe we do write the self-help book. <laughs> By the time the movie comes out, we will, have made a decision on whether or not we're going to write the self-help book. book. Yeah, obviously. Um, so thanks again, Harley, that, that makes us really smile. Like it's, you know, incredible to hear from you guys, um, especially as we come to the close. Um, and we are going to be talking about the ninth episode of season six B broken glass. Yes. It was, um, directed by Tim Andrew. Could you guess? I was not paying attention. I saw some slow-mo, so I was like, okay, it must be him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And written by Lindsay Sturman, who we've heard from before. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, Mm. okay, (laughs) let's just say it. Like, this should not have been the penultimate episode of the entire series. No, it feels, especially at the end, like there is so much to be wrapped up. Like, they are just starting this big firefight between um you know scott and his pack and the monroe's army basically um and there's no and i think we're going to talk about this in the next um episode but i think this is part of why so many people have been clamoring for years for a season seven is because so much of this felt really unfinished Mm -hmm. and i think this is part of the problem is that this is the penultimate episode for the whole thing yeah for all of teen wolf yeah, we're like throwing characters in at the very last second. It in some of it's fun, like it's kind of fun to see Kate again, but again, it feels like everything like there's no wrapping it up in one episode and that's frustrating. Um this was it was so 30 second teen wolf scene. It really was. Flip 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 too many characters like I, yeah, it just <laughs> I think one extra episode might have you know, save the season. If this was a 12 season season, a 12 episode season, it would have maybe changed things totally. But, um, yeah. Who's to say? We'll never know. Sure. Like they have done, they have done worse with more episodes. So yeah, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Definitely. From the shows you love. Um, before we get too far into it, we do have to do our 60 second recap and I will be going first. Well, on the one hand, nothing happened in this episode. But on the, yeah, but on the other hand, lots of things happened in this episode. Yeah. Here's the thing about both of those hands. Neither of them helped me succeed in this effort. <laughs> um, well, we'll see. Uh, we will not. Um, thanks. I, I mean, you'll have to recap it. So do I have will... to? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I'm feeling like 
there's, you know, we only have two left, so I better just hunker down. But on the other foot, no. You know, it's like when you have to go to the doctor as a pediatrician, and they've changed these now, but when they had to do the little pinprick on your finger, and it was like the most aggressive thing ever. I literally don't know what you're talking about. Oh my God, they like shot it up into your finger to get like a little thing of blood to like test you out when you're a child. And it's like the most traumatizing thing. No, I flat out just remember getting full blood tests. Hmm, interesting. So worse. <laughs> so much worse. Yeah. In comparison to recapping the rewolf. Uh, yeah, you're right. The- but at least I got a cookie after those. Or a lollipop. Yeah. We can make that happen for us. Oh, I guess so. Well, <laughs> all right. For the next podcast. Okay. Um, so you have one minute to recap this episode in three two one go so Archie goes to Brazil to bribe some guy to get some information about Derek uh Jethan is being tortured by Monroe and then she like rallies a bunch of people and t- tells them I need to be afraid of werewolves um and Lydia like Banshee like senses Ethan Liam corners uh Nolan library and Nolan is like I'm gonna take you to the hospital and then you're gonna beat me up so it makes it seem like uh you know you you beat me up for the information Lydia goes to Scott's house and sees Peter and he's looking for Malia they realize Monroe has blocked like blocked the cell phone towers Chris finds Derek um Scott and Malia go to Decalion for blind fighting lessons. Nolan chose Liam. These people in the hospital uh, chose all the people in the hospital who were at the at the rally. Chris tries to convince Derek to come back. The FBI shows up, but it's actually Kate. Haha! And she steals Yellow Wolfman and is like, "I'm going to give this to my dad." Ducalion teaches um, Emily and Scott like echolocation. Parrish meets Sheriff in the bunker, and they figure out that the entire like that all of the supernaturals have been like cataloged, and that like there's going to be like a real life ambush. Parrish is called the Eichenhaus. Nolan tells Liam like takes Liam to the ICU, and he sees a bunch of like supernaturals who are being poisoned with wolfsbane in- wolfsbane intravenously. That is time. Okay, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Like what? I- it's fine. Like I was never gonna. The fact that I actually think I got worse at this process. Then, like, I think I used to be better at it. You know, if we got better at other things and worse at the recap, I think that's okay. You're right. You know? I would like to think that I did, like, got better with everything, but you're right. It ebbs and flows. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is life. Okay, um, mm-hmm. do you think you're going to do better than me? Almost certainly not, but... Uh, hey, I'll, that's my line. <laughs> we'll try. All right, well then, on your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Chris is in Brazil looking for answers about Derek, who's being hunted by Gerard's minions, and Monroe's torturing Ethan as an example in front of all the high schoolers, being like, this is uh, the people that you're going to try and help kill. The deputies threaten the sheriff to be like, stay out of our way, and the new is just like around, causing problems. Lydia has a premonition about Jackson. Nolan offers to give Liam the info that he needs, and also to beat him up. Lydia and Peter are ending, are looking for their friends and end up running into each other. Scott and Malia decide to train with Ducalian, blindfolded because he knows how to do that. Um, Chris is trying to convince Derek to come back to Beacon Hills. He's mad. Uh, Derek is mad that they brought Gerard back and is like, mm, maybe I don't want to help. But Kate shows up. Surprise. Monroe is pulling reports um, and planning an operation on all of the supernaturals. Nolan shows Liam all of the people at the hospital who are in the militia and then all of the people who are on the wolf brain drips because that's like super sinister. Lydia tells Peter about her dream where everyone has turned to stone. Kate steals the wolf brain, beats up Derek, yells at Chris because she's looking for revenge. Nolan tries to leave the hospital, but Gabe stops him and beats the shit out of him because it was actually a trap. And meanwhile, Corey and Mason are on their way to the hospital hospital um let's see Deucalion proposes that maybe humans are truly evil and Scott's like no I don't think so okay you got so far (laughs) I really feel like I didn't take a whole lot of notes in this episode yeah because I was waiting for plot points to join together um Uh but that is mostly what happened yeah I mean you should tell us what happens at the end because that's going to be a big part of discussion yeah but for once it's not going to take me like 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right we'll wrap it up for us Julia okay so um Malia and Scott and Deucalion are, you know, 
still training and arguing. And then Lydia and Peter show up to warn them that uh, they're all going to die because um, Monroe has showed up with all of her gun friends um, and Deucalion dies. Yeah. That's pretty much the episode. He does. We'll get there. I don't want to start with that. I don't want to start with that. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to be talking about this episode through the theme of anticipation. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Um, And... It, it does, like most penultimate episodes, like most Teen Wolf penultimate episodes, just feels like we're teetering on the edge um, mm-hmm. for the whole episode. And I think it's pretty clear in a lot of our characters' actions and and uh, interactions. And I'm interested to know where you want to start. I want to start with a gentleman we've not seen in a very long time. Derek Hale. Mr. Derek Hale. Literally, Julia, no one who's listened to the podcast <laughs> is shocked that you want to start with talking about Derek. I was saying this to you while we were watching which is that like season five is such a cluster and so disappointing and then season 6a is so fun that like you don't really get a chance to miss Derek because you're focused on other things and right as this episode opens you like see him walking you don't even see his face but like Tyler Hackman has such a distinctive walk that you're like Derek's back Mm -hmm. and it's very exciting yes I mean like (laughs) I know that you're like keyed in <laughs> but no it, it totally is I think it is really interesting especially because his main part of this episode is with Chris and then eventually Kate it feels like when you're watching those scenes you're like ah I remember where the show started um and kind of in a you know it's the end of the show nostalgic type of way but also in like a really interesting dynamic way mm-hmm. um so obviously Chris is you know all over Brazil, a massive country. I have no idea how he locates Derek. Um, yeah, and how he's flying there and back in like a compact amount of time. It is hard to get to South America from anywhere in North America. Yeah, first of all, you need a visa to go to Brazil on any commercial flight, or you used to, but definitely when this was happening. So I don't know how that's going on. Yeah, uh, probably right now too because of the global pandemic. Yeah, it's hard to hard to get places, man. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but Chris shows up essentially because um, he's been hearing rumors mm-hmm. about Derek. And also, I think maybe he's been hearing rumors about the Wolfsbane yes. as well. Um, but essentially, he's there to get Derek to come back to Beacon Hills because the Hale family, and we haven't talked about this in seasons, but the Hale family is really like tied to Beacon Hills as its protectors and particularly it's like resident supernatural family. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris really feels like Derek is needed in order to stop the Anukite. Yes. So he shows up to try and make that happen. And Derek is a little skeptical. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it feels like Derek does know that this is happening and is putting off his return, which is obviously has led to a great sense of anticipation from everybody, particularly Chris, who is just trying to get the yes, you know, Mm -hmm. which is a very stressful situation to watch on our end. And it's also really interesting because I think we do still get a little bit of like, you know, they're still a little hesitant to really dig in and trust each other because why would they? Mm-hmm. Um, storied enemies, Hales and Argents. Um, and you can see, like, like he, he says like something like, you know, you could have called me. And he's like, Derek, you don't have a phone. <laughs> I, I certainly would have if I could have. Yeah. Um, 
but it, it feels like they're doing a little bit of a, a tiptoe around each other, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Um, especially considering the fact, and Derek brings this up, that um, Derek is currently being hunted by people who were sent after him by Gerard, a problem he thought was taken care of. Yes. I would, I like literally because everybody is like, um, yeah, Chris, you should have killed your dad. You should have killed your dad. You couldn't even manage to kill your sister and you can't kill your dad. Maybe you're not a very good hunter. (laughs) Uh, You let your wife kill herself in your arms and you cannot kill your dad who is extra actually doubly evil. Yeah. It's a confusing to say the least. Um, but Derek is pretty, like, rightfully frustrated by that concept, um, especially because, like, Derek has spent so much of his life um, anticipating people like the Argents and anticipating being hunted. Mm-hmm. And now that he's suddenly being put into that position again because of Chris's direct actions, I would be unlikely to trust him as well. Uh, yeah. Yes. Because I think both of them are constantly waiting, like, a little bit for the other one to betray each other. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole interaction is anticipation. You know what they weren't anticipating? Kate. Kate. Okay. So we talked about this. We have talked about how we really did not like Kate's, you know, part in the early Earth seasons. Mm-hmm. I find her slightly more tolerable than Monroe because her, like... We know so much more about her upbringing and she was like a character introduced and like has relationships with other characters, whereas like Monroe is sort of like an alien. Oh, she's just like dropped into the plot. Yeah. Like with no relation. Completely mismanaged. So there is parts of Kate where you're like, okay, I understand how she got to be this evil and horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when she comes back in season four as just like an evil skank, which is like my favorite genre, my favorite genre of women in general. (laughs) Um, we, you know, we sort of reassess, like maybe now that Kate is supernatural, she is just sort of like a Peter type where it's Mm -hmm. like a self-serving evil. And then she circles back around and is like, oh no, I'm giving this Wolfsbane to Gerard. To my dad. Which, you know, she says it's not for the cause. It's this siren is insane. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I... We are going out on a bang, Wolfpack. I think that I was trying siren so knew. hard to like get through my thoughts. You were so composed, and then that's that uh, truck just came in and, and honked. <laughs> yeah, at you. God. Um. Anyway, so she says it's because she wants revenge on Scott. She wants to kill Scott. She's always Doesn't wanted everybody. Like, oh, Scott isn't that special. Oh my he really god, is. he's really just—he's just some guy. <laughs> um, but like. If she's willing to give that Wolfsbane to her dad to get it done, um, that sounds a little bit like, you know, you're still on that side, even if you're not on that side. Well, it's very funny to me because um, at one point, like, Chris is really trying to appeal to Kate. And even Derek is like, you know, Gerard's never going to take you back. He's never going to accept you. You are an abomination in his eyes, essentially. And Kate is being like, nana, nana, boo, boo. You also want daddy's approval, Christopher. And it's like, two things can be true. Yeah, many things can be true. (laughs) But yeah, I think, I I don't necessarily know if it was in the writer's best interest to just toss Kate back into the season. I know they're kind of playing the hits, but I think that's part of the reason why it gets so disrupted. 
um, and why there's too many plot lines to actually loop back into being, I don't know, good. It feels swollen. Like there are too many people, too many characters, and especially having introduced so many new people. There's not a lot of room to welcome back familiar faces. Yeah. And I kind of a little bit wish in terms of anticipation that we were anticipating their arrival. Mm-hmm. Kate showing up is just like, oh, okay. Yeah. She is there. She's there. Yeah. You know, you kind of know from the beginning Styles is eventually going to be back, but mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. I just feel like we could have started sowing those seeds earlier because this is way too late to be introducing the fact that Kate might be showing up. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I actually um, was thinking about this a couple of episodes ago when Ducalion shows back up. I i didn't remember him being in season five because I didn't remember anything about season five. But I really liked that he had that reintroduction um, as kind of like maybe an ally to Scott because it makes sense for him to be in 6B. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen Kate in ages. Yeah. You know, like it just, she's there. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right, fine. Shall we move on? Yes, who would you like to talk about next? Uh, do you want to talk about um, Lydia and Peter? Yeah. Uh, uh, kind of an odd couple thing. It's interesting because after three season three, we don't really see any sort of, um, like, and I don't really think we see enough discomfort around them to sort of, uh, you know, a little bit detail their very scary past mm-hmm. together. You know, when he bit her, almost killed her, she brought him back from the dead. Yada, yada. A lot of crazy shit. <laughs> I almost wish that we saw a little bit more of just how weird and deep and like messed up their relationship is. It sort of just feels like they got paired the spares in this episode, mm-hmm. but they are in kind of a high stakes environment because they have no way of contacting the two people they need to get to, um, specifically Lydia to Scott to sort of be like, by the way, the end is nigh. Mm-hmm. And that is like, I think breeds more anticipation in the viewer than it does necessarily amongst the characters. I would agree. Um, I really like seeing Lydia and Peter together. And I agree. We never really do get um, to dig into the specifics of their relationship. But one of the cool things about it is that Peter has always been kind of one person who um, not necessarily understands, but like knows that Lydia has like this tremendous power. Mm -hmm. Um, And perhaps wants to, like, use that. I don't know. But the fact that she is the person telling him that they're in immense danger, I don't know that he would listen as intently to anybody else as he does to her Mm -hmm. in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think Peter was kind of the first person to put Lydia's prior, like, her powers into, like, perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that that is why it would be so. And he's, she says the it's before she even tells him about her vision and seeing everybody turn to stone. She says, I woke up saying, where's Jackson? And he goes, that's very disturbing. He mm-hmm. doesn't for a second be like, he's not for a second like, well, you know, he was your old boyfriend, like weird dreams happen or whatever. He's so like matter of fact about the thing that 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 like concerns him, that there's something deeper there, you know, mm-hmm. that he feels like they're reaching towards something that is much bigger than just them not knowing where Scott and Malia are. Yeah. Well, I think these are two characters who have like kind of the most experience with anticipation. Like Lydia always has things on the tip of her tongue. She is always anticipating doom Mm -hmm. and like death. And Peter spent years in a coma anticipating the day. Well, I mean, Peter is always a step ahead. So he kind of lives 
lives and breathes by anticipating what's next. And I think that what's so interesting is that this is an episode where he very much is not in any position to be doing that, which seeing Peter off kilter is always interesting because he's normally so like assured. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I love seeing them together. Me do me too. I think I think it's interesting. Um and again, like I do wish part of like the sort of more like you know, uncomfortable parts of their relationship had shown up because I, I like that was just sort of dropped that like she like if I were Lydia I'd be like do not look at me do not talk to me we're taking separate cars yeah and particularly because they've kind of positioned Lydia and Malia because they're the two girls Mm -hmm. of like being really close and Lydia and they clearly like feel very strong friendship feelings for each other Lydia seeing that like Peter wants to be a part of Malia's life and like wants to kind of maybe be her dad. I'd be like, stay away from her. I would be so, I'd be like, how dare you? Yeah, totally. I'd be up in his face. Yeah. And eventually it's sort of the, they're both of their notions of anticipation that do bring them to, to finding um, Scott and Malia. And I don't even necessarily know if their warning would have done anything (laughs) at that point. Mostly just puts more of them in danger. Um, Especially mortal in peril yeah yeah um yeah should we talk about um let's quickly talk about uh the sheriff and parish the sheriff is in just like this horrible position of not being able to do anything because he is not supernatural he doesn't have the place of power that he used to occupy being the sheriff of beacon hills and he's really relying uh, on Parrish and anticipating the news that he's going to bring him to see if he can maybe help or come up with a plan or figure out what Monroe is doing because he doesn't know. Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting to me is he both sort of sees Parrish as his man on the inside, but also does not want him to be the man on the inside at all. You know, he says after Parrish gets the message that he has to go to Eichenhaus, which is clearly a trap. Clearly a trap. He's like, um, just remember they all know what you are, which is a little bit like, I don't really understand why he's been able to maintain his position amongst the crew this whole time anyway. I, I, I guess they see him as like being kind of non-threatening, unlike the sheriff, because he's been kind of laying low. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they know who he is and, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I guess so. I actually just think the Teen Wolf writers forgot about that. Sure. That's possible also. Yeah. More likely. More likely. Maybe. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. He's sort of like the sheriff is just kind of waiting for Parrish to deliver the news and then also sort of waiting for him to not come back. It's, it's really upsetting. Yeah. What's most upsetting to me though, is that they are only just figuring out like Nolan showing, you know, Liam, the people in the hospital who were at the like rally in the basement and then like Parrish and... Um, the sheriff are like just now figuring out that they've like cataloged all of the supernaturals. It feels a little too late for them to be figuring this out, right? Yes. I feel like this is something that we should have been anticipating the whole time that they've been like putting together the clues. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, clearly. I mean, we know from the school that that's happening. Also, if Raphael we we have saw been... kids stabbing each other, he'd be like, I need to invest a, investigate a cult in this town. We have been talking about this this entire season. Where is the outside world? Like, Where we is should it? be anticipating the National Guard. Uh, legit, if if Raphael knows, and as he says, he knows that Gerard has distributed all of his weaponry to the townsfolk. That is call for like massive intervention. Like the president would be notified yeah. of shit like that. <laughs> 
like it's just we the audience because we live in the real world would be anticipating that we yeah. would be expecting that except that there has been we've been given no indication that that's going to happen mm-hmm. for reasons unexplained yeah it frustrates me that I haven't been anticipating it or they haven't like it, it feels like they've they're lowering the stakes by not considering all of the aspects of the story they're trying to tell yeah I think it doesn't as much anticipation as there is in this episode um I think that the tension in this whole season could be a lot stronger the tone is just wackadoodle it is all over the place like the little you know tete-a-tete going on between Peter and Lydia when they first meet of being like funny with each other is like so out of place Mm -hmm. and I don't mind like having a moment of levity but it's not even a particularly funny scene no it also really draws attention to the fact that this show is like so comedically lost without Dylan O'Brien I thought you were gonna say up its own ass but yeah that too it totally is no it's just like really like I mean he carried so much of like the humor points in the show Mm -hmm. and you have people who fill in those gaps like I think that Ian Bowen has good timing and obviously Shelly Hennig is very funny Mm -hmm. but there's no there's no funny character like there's no guy who's supposed to be like that person and you you need one like yeah, that's how you that really works do. every person is a straight man in this in this season and you're like i could use one laugh one, one. and like Please, sir. liam will get one you know mm-hmm. like theo will get a, a funny in but like I, there's no consistent levity so like trying to squeeze it in amongst characters who do not consistently bring it is like um but they could have absolutely set up Liam for that position but instead they tried to make him Mr. Serious Man yeah trying to be a big boy alpha yeah I think if Jackson was in more this season that would have been a great way to do it because Jackson is so mean and so funny hilarious yeah yeah so I agree um let's talk a little bit about um let's talk about Liam Liam my guy Liam and Nolan tiny Somebody on Twitter was like, oh, my sweet baby Nolan. And I think this is the episode where I was supposed to feel that. I don't. He's still such a weenie. He really is. Like, he should have just let Liam hit him somewhere. Well, not even just that. It's like, I mean, he's so, um, like, (laughs) weak. Mm-hmm. that he can't even see that anything he's doing is a trap, which is absolutely incredible considering the fact that he should be constantly vigilant of the people he's betraying because he knows exactly what they can do. Yeah, there was this moment in the beginning of this episode where Monroe pulls Nolan up to the front of the class while they're doing werewolf torture school um, and is like, you know this kid put so many bullets in Scott McCall's house that he, I'm surprised it's still standing. And I was thinking to myself that that is like absurd. There's no way it could have only been Nolan, but upon reflection, I think Monroe knows that it wasn't him. Um, And it's funny to me that Nolan doesn't suspect that other people know that he's being wishy-washy, that he's having second thoughts. Yeah. It's also kind of annoying to me that Liam Okay, legit, if Theo was there, he'd be like, don't trust this kid. Where is Where's Theo? The, this whole episode. This whole episode is sort of lacking a voice of reason a little bit. And unfortunately, that voice, the voice of reason is stored in the Theo. In the Theo. And like, 
could have also been the Peter, but he was in the episode so infrequently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where was Theo? Yeah. And so it's weird to me that Mason, I mean, not Mason, that Liam isn't sitting around being like, yeah, something about this is off. It's weird that he doesn't immediately think like when Nolan lets him go, like, hey, Mason, Corey, turn the car around. I think something's up. You know, yeah. really weird because we as the audience are like, OK, it's never this easy. It's not this easy. We know it's not this easy. What the hell is happening? Why is everybody losing their sense of like perception? Well, and also, you know, if I I think that Nolan like really wants to do the right thing here. But if I were Liam, I'd be like, why the fuck can't you just tell me what you're talking about? I don't need a visual aid. Yeah. Like, I don't need to go to a place that will put me in immediate peril. Yeah. Nolan, take a picture. <laughs> like, I really <laughs> hate when shows refuse to exist in the 21st century. Snapchat it to me, dude. Like, we have had camera phones for a long time. I feel like the last time they actually implemented something like that, it was in the first season when Styles is, like, on Skype with Scott and is like, there's someone in your room. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I would immediately, if I were Liam, I would immediately be like, this is suspicious. And Liam's not the smartest, you know, tool in the kit. No. But he would get that. He would, he would get it. Yeah. He'd be a little suspect. Well, I also think it's interesting that Corey and Mason are, you know, very basically clear on what's about to happen. And they still go. And they still go. Girl, what? They, what? Corey can turn invisible why do they walk into the hospital fully in view of everyone like well this is a uh, this whole episode is really an example of the writers not playing to their characters highest intelligence i mean Mm. a little bit with scott and malia we see that they've like done their homework and they're working really hard but those are kind of the only ones Mm -hmm. like i don't even think peter is in pure peter form in this episode definitely not like it's really frustrating to watch because everybody is, we know the skill set of every person in mm-hmm. this, in the show. And the, like to have this be the penultimate episode is, is frustrating. Um, yeah. That, that's what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I have, I mean, that. I have more thoughts about the Mason and Corey interaction, but I think I'm going to save them for um, Q's and O's as I think that that is going to launch into a longer conversation. Sure. Um, let's talk about Scott, Malia and Deucalion. I think, you know what, in terms of anticipation, if I had been anticipating Deucalion's death, it would be more effective and affecting. Yes. Um, We don't even get to sit with it. No. Like, he's just dead. No. There's there's no moment. There's no even... Team Wolf, at times, is really good at, like, telegraphing those kinds of twists if that's what you want to call it uh-huh and like us kind of knowing that maybe not even exactly who's gonna die but that something really horrific is gonna happen yeah um not even that his death is particularly graphic or like moving um but it should be not graphic but moving yeah um it's just so disappointing and i think we've talked about this before that like it should have been a main character and definitely not somebody who we have already come to forgive. 
We yeah, forgave he had him. his redemption arc. He already had his redemption. If he, they did it at the very end of a redemption arc or he di- ended up choosing to die for the cause, it would have been way better. Oh, he's just like caught off guard. And it's so... And it's also an embarrassing way for someone like Deucalion to die because Deucalion is the demon wolf. I think that perhaps that was the point maybe because they had spent the whole episode focusing on like what to do if the Anukate arrives um, and, you know, fighting blind uh, all of which are Deucalion's strengths that they didn't pay attention to like their surroundings and like the hubris of that. Maybe if I want to give some credit to <laughs> you, the, go ahead do that. The <laughs> attempt. I think that might've been the point, but no, I don't think it was yeah. successful. I agree. I, I think that I can definitely see where that would have been the idea. You know, I, I mean to give compliments to this episode, I think the idea, like the whole training montage that they have to go through is really smart. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been smarter two episodes ago. Uh, for a long, and for like a longer time. A longer time. I would have loved to have sit with it. I would have loved if it weren't just cutting between scenes. I would have watched 15 straight minutes of them doing that. Because there probably is like 15 straight minutes of them doing it in this episode. And doing it cut in 30 second scenes was frustrating. Sorry, you know what I was just thinking of? You know the, the training scenes in Batman Begins? Yes. They're so good. They're so effective. That only lasts for like the first 20 minutes of the movie. Uh-huh. Like it's so well time managed. Something like that. Yeah. That is like so specific mm-hmm. and is given the actual time it needs in within the episode or yeah. like within the, the plot structure. That's what I want. Me too. And I really do like the idea that we know. I think that it's really well thought out that you know, we've taken into consideration all the ways that, you know, one, like how blind people navigate the world, but two, how that extends to like being a werewolf and how like Deucalion has managed his life and managed to be so successful in his, you know, evil career. Mm-hmm. And to impart that knowledge on Scott is really um, interesting structurally because he's clearly taking advice from somebody who you know, is giving him the skills to do what he could do, which was kill people. And even says, God, I don't fight people. I kill them. Deucalion in the, I'm going to call it 15 minutes of screen time. He's in, mm-hmm. in this episode. and probably less than that. Actually. Totally less, yeah. Um, raises two very interesting points, which is one that he doesn't fight people. He kills people. And what if humans are just bad? Yeah. Like, and that is a question that they have been dancing around the entire season. And Deucalion is the only person who has really said it out loud. Yeah. That I can remember because I don't remember anything. Um, and Scott just like refuses to engage with it. Yeah. Well, he, I think not Scott. I think the show refuses to engage. It wants to ask the questions and then let you think about it instead of like try to, you know, propose answers from all different angles that the show has to offer mm-hmm. um yeah i think that's interesting well i think that those questions do the best thing to inspire anticipation because you're like yeah what if humans are still bad like from an audience perspective um and then like what if scott because scott doesn't say anything when Ducalian says that he knows how to kill people mm-hmm. has scott finally accepted that that's how this is going to end yeah I don't know. I would love to to know, because, but they didn't explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also like the idea that so much of fighting is about anticipation and listening for movement and mm-hmm. like sitting at like to be really at like at, you know, in stasis with your environment to like understand how the, the gentlest change suggests that something bigger is coming. And so I appreciate that that seems to be setting us up for the finale. Mm-hmm. Just don't know how well executed it was. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Shall we move into Q's nose? Let's do it. Do you have any questions? 
Um, this is like a hypothetical, but also just like, why don't they ever talk about what, what would happen if Malia fought the Anukite in coyote form? Um, like what if she shifted into a coyote? Coyotes have eyes. They do, but I feel like, you know, you're lower to the ground. Okay. But I do feel like she's still a human being. I guess. Like she's still a, a cognizant person under there. She's not just like an animal. I suppose. Um, I just, it's weird to me that like she doesn't really ever shift to her coyote form for like fighting. fighting. Yeah. She just does it when she's like scared. For fun. Yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah, or scared. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about this when we were watching Gabe beat the shit out of Nolan, whom he previously was trying to save. Mm-hmm. Of like, what are the lasting effects of the Anukate, particularly now that it has um, reunited with its other half? Like, is Gabe still feeding on that when he is not in the direct presence of it? Because like, it certainly feels that way. Yeah. Um, I think that that's right. I think that now that it's um, reunited with his other half, it's it doesn't have to be an Aaron form. To, it's like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's aerosolized. <laughs> Everybody in the room just yeah. breathed it in. Yep. Those are my questions, musings. Do you have any questions? Well, I have a question because um, one of our listeners, Rachel, actually asked us to talk about this. And I think that this is a good episode to do it in. And the question was, why do we think that like villains like Jennifer and Deucalion, even Kate to some extent, are more effective or more, you know, um, sort of deserving of our not forgiveness, but like recognition of them as characters I think the biggest part of the answer to this is that those characters were given to us as whole characters. And like I said previously in the episode, you can, I think if you listen to our, you know, season two commentary, we are not nice about Kate. No, not at all. At all. Season one. When is she in the show? Season one. Season one. Yeah. Season one. We are not nice about her. We think that she is sort of, violent without a cause we think that you know her radicalization isn't as well characterized but there is an extent to which it is like you know we see that she has a family that has like brought her up in this life and like people who she relates to and who relate to her yeah like you said earlier like comparing monroe to just being like an alien that they dropped in uh to the show Mm -hmm. with like no context and Except that the worst thing about that is that the context they want to use is everything that happened in season five, which we talked about. The fact that the outside world doesn't seem to be addressing the fact that tens of people are dying. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of a sudden, there's this one person who was so deeply affected by that that she has not like worked through being afraid and swiveled around completely to hatred. Yeah. It just seems like it came out of nowhere. Um, well, I also like think this is a serious fault of the writers to decide that you can just give a hate movement like a mouthpiece and not have to do any further investigating into them as a person. I still think it is absolutely insanely tasteless that they made the hate movement's mouthpiece a black woman Mm -hmm. and then did very little, if anything at all, to develop any kind of character. So our frustration is not only with Monroe being like that kind of evil, because of course that kind of evil, if you live in the world is 
exceptionally insidious and really uncomfortable to watch that's like you know maybe Mm -hmm. a good thing they did with this character is that it 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 is affecting and it really is hard to watch the difficulty for me here is that there is it's basically cardboard it's cardboard and you know I do I actually think that that speaks to why certain other villains are successful is because like not only are they given to us as whole characters but upon the reveal of some of their backstories it builds into the mythology of the show Mm -hmm. and of all of the other characters that we've either met or heard about um so like it becomes part of the fabric of the world um in a way that kind of like meshes with what's already there and Monroe just feels so out of left field yeah I will even say even with people we found less success it's like like less successful like I kind of oscillate on Jennifer I think her Mm. the biggest flaw of Jennifer's character is just that there's too many cooks in the kitchen as far as evil goes in that season sure um and then also the like being ugly thing which was like is this feminist absolutely not (laughs) um but we also get to spend time with her as a person away from her agenda yeah right we don't really get that with monroe again she's cardboard and unfortunately i think like simon gile malambo does a really good job with what she's given she's a very good actress Mm -hmm. she's compelling to watch to an extent but if there's nothing that makes me think it's worth the discomfort of watching her i don't really want to yeah i agree um do you have any other thoughts on that question Probably, um, but I think we've discussed quite a lot about what we find so frustrating about Monroe and this the whole villainous setup of this season. Not just her, but the entire movement behind it and Gerard's role in it and the Anukate. Like, it doesn't work holistically for me. And I do want to acknowledge that, like, part of that probably is from personal experience of, like, living in the u.s and this coming out like right after the trump presidency began i know that that's like personally affecting me mm-hmm. when i watch it the first time and now oh yeah i mean we're coming with baggage a hundred percent but i also just think that from like a structural storytelling perspective it's lazy and isn't representative of like the best of teen wolf no Speaking of which, I also had an observation. <laughs> or do you want to do your observations? And then you we can, can go redhead and do your observations. Well, I just, I feel like we're on the topic of like complete, like, you know, lack of sensitivity in the show. Go, yeah, go redhead. Right um, Corey and Mason, or Corey, no, Mason at least, like, looks around at what's happening and makes a direct comparison to Kristallnacht. And he doesn't say, this is like, he says, this is crystal knocked. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to make this any more clear, but if you are never going to engage with the way that like fascist movements have actually, you know, destroyed people's lives and how like very like, like disgusting prejudice can harm people in the real world, you don't really get to dump that comparison in at the end to be like, what's happening to the werewolves is just like this thing that killed so many people so many jewish lives were lost like it is insane to decide that like i i think i said this to you earlier they are like misappropriating one of the most tragic moments in like literally like all of human history all of human history but even just like 
recent history, mm-hmm. you know, this didn't happen over a hundred years ago. Sure didn't. To make a false comparison to a like, um, you know, fake movement you made up for one season at the end of your show that is inspired by a supernatural force and not like actual like political terror. Oh, I think the supernatural force is part of what makes it so tasteless. Incredibly. Yeah, I keep saying this. It is tasteless at best and reckless at worst, you know? Yeah, the idea that people would only behave this way because of a supernatural force, which completely disregards an understanding of how fascist movements happen. Like, Mm -hmm. it, it is so... Mm, disrespectful yeah disrespectful tasteless yeah reckless it's just bad on all fronts well and like parish is even like they're making lists yeah you know like god and i i know that we're supposed to have some sort of sense that this is happening globally but right now it's you make beacon hill so local that i'm like i don't think you can compare like no, it's really this. weird to see Chris in Brazil because, like, it, Beacon Hills has become its own entire universe, clearly, yeah. because it doesn't interact with the outside world and hasn't for the last couple seasons. So I just thought it was upsetting that Teen Wolf, like, thinks it's making this great point when actually all it's doing is sort of, like, not giving enough, like, attention to the fact that it hasn't actually earned any comparison to things like that like it has Mm -hmm. never engaged with the outside world it has never engaged with like actual political thought or like the ways that people are like subjugated in this universe to bring in crystal knocked that is like it's hearing that them say that it was like this you have no idea like it is so specific that's the problem like if you were just like fascism is bad okay you're you're right right. fascism (laughs) is bad but teen wolf you do not have the political wherewithal to tell us that yeah they like, don't have the political wherewithal to tell us a lot of things, and especially not that. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any observations that maybe light, will like lighten the mood? Oh, yes. At the beginning of this episode is one of my favorite little character moments that you can do in any um, like show that involves weapons, which is character has many, many weapons in uh, unrealistic places in their body. Yes. Um, the best example of that is in Pirates of the Caribbean 3. But... Um, at the beginning of this episode, Chris gets into the car with uh, his Brazilian frenemy, and they're like, I need you to take your gun out, and then your other gun, and then the knife that you keep in your pocket, yes. and then the other knife that you keep. And it's just one of my... F- I just love it. I love that, too. I think it's so funny. It's great. Um, it's delightful. Um, we're going to talk about Tyler Hecklin's walk. Um, <laughs> there's a moment when... Uh, Liam is like in the hospital with Nolan and Nolan's pointing out all of the people who are like in Monroe's little army and he's like oh even the nurses and I'm just thinking about like all of the mean girls who became nurses nurses. also like all of the nurses who like aren't getting COVID (laughs) vaccines I don't know it seems seems legit to me and make like mean posts about their patients on social media like like are in MLMs and okay obviously (laughs) There are a lot of nurses who enter the workforce who are great people who do great work and are wonderful to their patients. It's just the very public nurses on social media showing their ass. Pretty much. Oh, yeah. Like nursing, I think, is like the most trusted profession in the United States. So it makes sense that Liam would say that. But I was watching it just being like, hmm. Nurses have just changed meaning <laughs> over the last, you know, eight months. 18 months, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, finally, <laughs> I just can't believe this. The... 
the group of dudes walk into the hospital and they place a little block on the nurse's desk. And if you blink, you'll miss it. But it legit says cell phone blocker. We have seen like jammers in the show before. And like that doesn't look like any of the ones we've seen. But if you just brought back one of the old props, we'd be like, ah, yeah, I remember that from season four or whatever. And what is so crazy is that it is made to look like it is actually a part of the product. It's not like somebody took their little like label printer and like, you know, to make it easier for the people who aren't familiar with this technology to be like, oh, that's the cell phone blocker. It like came like that from the manufacturer. And it just looks so stupid. It does. It looks really dumb. (laughs) So funny. Um, yeah, those are my observations. Um, Did you have any more you'd like to share with us? Um, I I wish Theo had been in this episode. I missed him. He's just been such a big part. Um, also, where did Corey come from? Sorry, but where has he been? Where has he been? That's why a question, but like, what? Why isn't he using his invisibility powers? Where's Deaton? Like, come on. Every episode, every where episode. is he? Yep. Um, okay. Uh, do you want to give us our pack stats? Sure. Um, we had four eyes, mm-hmm. one claws. Um, Ethan really wants to find his boyfriend. Poor guy. Yeah. Um, one shirt. Ethan was fully clothed in his little wet t- wet white t-shirt. Uh-huh. Um, but Malia was naked from her little. Yes, she was. Um, moment with Scott. And then, um, you know, there was a Toyota. I don't know what kind of car Derek was driving um, that he crashed through the barn. Couldn't Love see the, that Derek is a car dude. But like a, a muscle, muscle car, car dude. dude. Yeah. Um, and then as of right now, mm-hmm. we had two sirens. Yeah, we did. And they were. One of those counts for double. I'm going to say rude. <laughs> they actually. were really rude. Uh, do you have an alpha of the week? Pour one out for Ducalion. Ducalion, man. Ducalion, you were done so dirty. I love you so much. You beautiful beautiful mean man beautiful mean man yeah Gideon Emery gonna miss him you can be our number one fan although it was fun to see Ryan Kelly our actual number one fan number one fan um (laughs) I think that about wraps it up right Mm -hmm. all right well if you like this episode you guys can follow us on Twitter at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf which is also our Instagram handle you can follow us on Tumblr at Teen Wolf Rewolf and our Facebook group is Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast if you really like this episode you can buy us a coffee ko-fed.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf you can leave us a review on iTunes um, five stars and we'll you get it in before the final buzzer we'll read it out loud Uh, or you can buy one of our stickers on Redbubble redbubble.com forward slash Teen Wolf Rewolf other than that I've been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, Woo!